This recording has been produced by Christchurch Jerusalem. For more information, visit us at cmj-israel.org. Our worship continues with the reading and study of the Word of God. The first reading is from the book of Isaiah, chapter 49. Listen, O coastlands, to me, and take heed, you peoples from afar. The Lord has called me from the womb. From the matrix of my mother, he has made mention of my name. And he has made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hand, he has hidden me and made me a polished shaft. In his quiver, he has hidden me. And he said to me, you are my servant, O Israel, in whom I, sh- I will be glorified. Then I said, I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing and in vain. Yet surely my just reward is with the Lord and my work with my God. And now the Lord says, who formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him, so that Israel is gathered to him. For I shall be glorious in the eyes of the Lord, and my God shall be my strength. Indeed, he says, it is too small a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved ones of Israel. I will also give you as a light to the Gentiles, that you should be my salvation to the ends of the earth. Thus says the Lord, the Redeemer of Israel, their Holy One, to him whom man despises, to him whom the nation abhors, to the servant of rulers, kings shall see and arise, princes also shall worship, because of the Lord who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel, and he has chosen you. This is the word of the Lord. The second reading is taken from the first letter to the Corinthians, chapter 1. Paul, called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God and Sosthenes, our brother, to the church of God which is at Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, with all who in every place call on the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both theirs and ours, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given to you by Christ Jesus, that you were enriched in everything by him in all utterance and all knowledge, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you, so that you came short in no gift eagerly awaiting for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will also confirm you to the end, that you may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, by whom you are called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Our gospel portion is from the gospel according to John. Chapter 1, starting at verse 19, is it? Traditionally, the Gospels would be read in the center of the uh, church, signifying the Word of God is center to our lives. However, we record these, so we'll do it from here. However, 
We will honor an ancient Christian tradition as well. Please stand. You stand in the presence of kings. Do you stand as we hear the word of the king? Now this is the testimony of John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, no. Then he said to him, who are you? That we may give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say of yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now those who were sent were from the Pharisees, and they asked him, saying, Why then do you baptize if you are not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? John answered them, saying, I baptize with water, but there stands one among you whom you do not know. It is he who, coming after me, is preferred before me, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to loose. These things were done in Barbera, beyond the Jordan, where John was baptizing. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who is preferred before me, for he was before me. I did not know him, but that he should be revealed to Israel. Therefore I came baptizing with water. And John bore witness, saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove. He remained upon him. I did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, Upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. Again, the next day, John stood with two of his disciples, and looking at Jesus as he walked, he said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. Then Jesus turned and seeing them following, said to them, what do you seek? They said to him, Rabbi, which is to say when translated teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, come and see. And they came and saw where he was staying and remained with him that day. Now it was about the 10th hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, we have found the Messiah which is translated, the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Now when Jesus looked at him, he said, You are Simon, the son of Jonah. You shall be called Cephas, which is translated, a stone. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Good morning. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning to commit this time to you, Father. We pray, Father, that you will help us to set aside distractions, and worries of our lives. Help us, Lord, to focus on your word. Give us ears that hear and eyes that see. We invite you, Lord, to be present as I guide and explain, to guide as I explain your word. And may we see how we can apply this in our lives. In your name, Jesus. Amen. Okay, good morning. Thank you very much for listening to that. I'm going to be Um, Looking at the passage of John 1, verse 19 to 42. So if you have it, please do keep it open in front of you. Um, The sermon I'm going to preach is going to be looking in three different areas. Firstly, what is John's role? 
And then secondly, what is our response? Firstly, to explore and to find out more. And secondly, to act and to lose ourselves. Okay, and paradoxically, to find life. So John's role, to be a signpost. Do you know what, a mo what the purpose of a motorcycle cop is? We used to live in London about 15 years ago, and I remember cycling with my yellow paraphernalia uh, and my yellow vest to college. And on the way, a motorcycle cop in Wandsworth blocked the road and went like, and everyone stopped. And being a South African, I was like, this is a bit unusual, but everyone stopped, and then he's roared off, and then about 10 seconds later, by which time I'm thinking I should go now, but no one else is going. 10 seconds later, we see, I think it was Prince Margaret came across in a car and then moved on. And the purpose of the Mokosocycle Cop was to prepare the way for someone important. So John the Baptist is a little bit like a motorcycle cop. He's the voice announcing the Lord. He's an echo of the prophet Elijah in 2 Kings 1, which says he wears a garment of hair and a leather belt around his waist. Like Elijah, who will turn the hearts of parents to their children, John arrived and called people to repentance, just as Elijah had once done. So what was the purpose of John the Baptist? If we look at uh, chapter 1, verse 7 in John, he tells us that the purpose of John the Baptist is he came to witness, to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. So like the traffic cop preparing the way for someone important, he is the voice announcing the arrival of the Lord and calling us to repentance. In this passage, though, we see an unusual interview of when John only speaks about Jesus and not about himself. So what happens is we have a high-level delegation consisting of priests and Levites come to him and they ask him who he is. Now, the Levites are a Jewish tribe who are qualified to offer priestly sacrifices. They were the tribe responsible for the religious leadership of the Jews and were concerned with the washing of rituals and purification at the temple. So John the Baptist was himself a Levite, a descendant of Aaron. Now, when the high-level delegation asks John the Baptist, who are you? The surprise is that he doesn't talk about himself as most public figures would do. But instead, he openly says, I am not the Christ, the Messiah. When they ask him again, then who are you? I am not Elijah. Are you a prophet? I am not. So if you look in verse 23 of chapter one, he says, he quotes Isaiah saying, I am the voice of the one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord. So John is not promoting himself. We don't see him taking selfies and posting them on social media. He's simply promoting Jesus. He is clear it's not about him. It's all about Jesus. And then he goes further to highlight how important Jesus is by using the illustration of him not even being worthy to untie the sandals of his feet. Remember, the sandal in the Old Testament time was filthy, given the dusty terrain and the, the lack of sanitation facilities. So John's response to us is a reminder that we don't need, that people don't need us, they need Jesus.
And our role, like his, is to be a messenger or a signpost. We should keep this in mind when we share our own personal testimonies with those who may not know Jesus Christ. Though our story is important, the star of the show is Jesus and not us. So what should our response be? There are two responses. The firstly is we should explore and find out more. Now, what do we need to know to be willing to follow someone? I want to give you an illustration. In a social media age, it's easy to gain followers with the help of technology, well, easier. A Chinese blogger known as, and excuse my pronunciation, Your Highness Chiabilu of Douyu hit on a winning formula, gaining about 130 followers on social media, and mainly male, and thousands of dollars of donations by using a beauty filter to project herself as a teenage beauty. However, the technology let her down in the middle of 2019 when she was doing a live interview, and the filter crashed, revealing her to be a woman in her late 50s. Many of her followers felt cheated, and they demanded their money back. So this raises the question, as followers of Jesus, how do we know that he is the real thing, that he is the real Messiah? Jesus himself warned in Matthew 24 that there will be many false prophets and many shall be deceived. So how do we know that Jesus is the Messiah and not a deluded, self-proclaimed prophet? In the passage, John the Baptist claims that Jesus is, and we can look at verse 29, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John is making the point that Jesus the Messiah is the fulfillment of the Old Testament promise of a substitute. Much like Genesis 12, when Isaac is saved and God provides a sacrifice as a substitute for Isaac, or the Passover lamb slaughtered in Exodus 12 to satisfy the wrath of God in Egypt. So if the Old Testament is asking, where is the lamb? Where is the Messiah? John the Baptist answers it by saying Jesus is that lamb. But what supports this claim? For John the Baptist, seeing the Holy Spirit descend in the form of the dove at the time of Jesus' baptism was enough to convince him that Jesus is the Messiah. If I read from verse 32, it says, I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him, and I myself did not know him. But the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and testify that this is God's chosen one. That's verse 32. So for John the Baptist, even though Jesus is his cousin, he didn't know that he was the Messiah until he found out in a preordained way. He saw the Spirit come from heaven. But what about us? We don't see the Holy Spirit descend. We didn't, so why should we believe it? Do we need blind faith in order to follow Jesus? We are a family of three kids, and uh, our boys and ourselves, we enjoy an action adventure. Well, in the Steven Spielberg series, Indiana Jones, is the movie The Last Crusade. And the bad guys are trying to find the chalice that Jesus used at the Last Supper. And the idea is that they can drink from the chalice, they will get eternal life. 
Now, in the movie, there are three protective steps that you need to, or traps, that you need to be able to enter to where the chalice is. And in one scene, Indy has to walk across a massive gorge with no bridge and to exercise blind faith to walk to the other side. But there's no bridge. It's a 300-foot drop. Only when he steps out with the step of blind faith does the path magically appear. Now, though that may make a great movie, blind faith is not what God requires of us. For us, in 2020, we have God's word and we have his Holy Spirit. And we're able to explore the evidence that backs up John's claim about Jesus. I became a Christian when I was 16, when a friend invited me to a scripture union camp, ostensibly to meet girls. Given we were in a boys-only school, this was an important consideration. And though I may not have had strictly honorable intentions, I responded to God's call and became a Christian. But by my early 20s, I wanted to explore the evidence further of Jesus' claims in more depth. What is the evidence for the resurrection? Can we trust the Bible? It wasn't enough for me to just believe. Christianity hinges on the resurrection, and if this claim is false, then Christianity collapses like a house of cards. Leeds, Lee Strobel's book, A Case for Christ, and other readings convinced me of the reality of the resurrection. What is fascinating about Lee Strobel, and this has actually been turned into a movie as well, is that he is a professional journalist, determined, he was a professional journalist, determined to prove that Christianity and the resurrection were false. But when he applied his research skills to the evidence, it was overwhelming, and he was convinced. So God doesn't want us to blindly accept Jesus' claims. And though we may not have witnessed what John the Baptist witnessed, and we may not be journalists, we can all explore the evidence and see how it backs up John's claim. Secondly, what is our response? Secondly, our response is to act and to lose ourselves. Becoming a disciple of Jesus is not just about exploring the evidence. The Christian faith is about taking steps to live in the light of it. We've all heard something about Jesus, but are we willing for this to shape our lives? Jesus says later in 1 verse 39, come and you will see. How can we have this promised encounter is it the right posture? Is it being in the right building? Is it doing the right things? Is it being born in the right family? Are there any tricks we need to know to access God? Is it being geographically present? The fact that we're in Jerusalem, does this make us closer to God than Timbuktu in Mali or Freetown in Sierra Leone? We can come and see when we come to Jesus the Messiah without conditions. We can't approach him with an agenda to see Jesus and to see if he fits into our life that we have set or to work out if he agrees in all the positions that we have. Rather, we should allow him to set the agenda in our lives. But this is not something that comes naturally. The word disciple is the same as the word discipline, which means instruction and training. And in verse 38, when, John, when Jesus asks John's disciples why they are following him, 
they reply rabbi, meaning teacher. They are willing to subjugate, to surrender their own desires for the sake of a future higher, nobler cause of being a disciple of Jesus. So being a disciple is not what we would interpret it as, as today, where we might think it is going to class from eight, finishing at 4.30 and getting 15 credits. In Jesus' day, they traveled together and spent 24 hours, 24-7 together. Imagine, it would be like having your teacher with you when you are cut off the road by a rude driver, or observing how he responds to a rude driver, or you can observe how you relate. Your teacher can see how you relate to your parent-in-laws, or when you, file in your, you fill in your tax return. So we need the Spirit's help. And Jim Packer describes the Spirit's ministry as a spotlight, which does not draw attention to itself, but to the object of illumination. So in a theatrical production, it would be absurd if we all admired the spotlight and we didn't pay attention to what was being illuminated. So the Holy Spirit, through the Word of God, shines a spotlight on how amazing Jesus is, how he transforms us and gives us new life. This is how we experience the incredible freedom of being acceptable and accepted to God. But we also need to live intentionally. As you may have seen in a time management exercise, the jar of life using sand, pebbles, and stones. Let me explain. There's an exercise where you have a jar and you have a set number of stones, pebbles, and sand. And the idea is, you can see this on YouTube, the idea is if you put the sand in first and the pebbles, you won't get the stones in. But if you put the stones in and the pebbles, the sand, you'll get a lot more in it. And the issue here is that we need to put first things first. So disciples are intentional. They put first things first. There's a Bible study I need to complete, or there's a ministry in service to people I've got to make time for. In our 24-7 connected society, this can be easier said than done. But if we're serious about being Jesus' disciples and being transformed by him, it's non-negotiable. The encouraging thing is that with God's help, it is possible. John Newton, an Anglican clergyman and former slave master, was a friend and mentor of William Wilberforce, who led the movement to abolish slavery. Now, Newton poured himself into the study of the Bible, into writing and preaching. And when Wilberforce wanted to, to quit as a member of parliament, it was Newton who persuaded him to stay in politics to do God's work there which ultimately led to the abolition of slavery. In his book about the life as a former slave master, he was able to testify, Newton that is, to a parliamentary committee on the inhumane treatment of slaves on the ships when they did the transatlantic journey, where more than 50% of the slaves generally died. And this had an incredible change. The world changed as both Newton and Wilberforce were intentional and they put first things first. Jesus says in Matthew 16, he who seeks to find himself will lose himself, and who loses himself for my sake will find himself. This is the paradox of Christian discipleship, that if we put putting ourselves as the highest priority, 
then we will never find out who God created us to be and created us to do. If our priority is to fulfill our own desires, we will never have our own desires fulfilled. But Jesus does not say here, death of self, but he says death to self. There's a clear distinction there. You were not put on earth to get rid of yourself, but to be yourself and to live fully as you are transformed from your old self to your new by the Holy Spirit through his word working in your lives. So in conclusion, John's role was to prepare the way for Jesus. And he invites us to come and, and then Jesus invites us to come and see. Our role is to respond with action and intention, losing ourselves in service of God and others. Only then will we find ourselves. That's the paradox of life. In doing so, we will find a life more of purpose and meaning than we could ever create for ourselves. Let us pray. Thank you, Lord, that you are the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Thank you that your Holy Spirit, through your word, transforms us into a new creation. And we surrender ourselves to you, Father, so that your Spirit can mold us and make us more like you. Help us, Lord, to respond to your call and to lose ourselves for your sake, for your glory. Help us to live intentional lives, Lord, not to be swayed by the priorities of this world, but rather to be guided by your priorities. Help us, Lord, to put those big stones in first. Lord, we pray this for your glory and not for our glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. If you've been blessed by this teaching, let us know by leaving a comment on our Facebook page, on SoundCloud, or by leaving a review in Apple Podcasts. You can offer practical support by giving a donation at ChristChurchJerusalem.org. Thank you, and blessings from the City of the King.